Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there who's trying to find us on Instagram, you can find us at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can find me personally. Again, that's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O or B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O since everyone can never figure out how to spell it even though I say double Z and double R. Also, you can find us on Spotify or any of the other shows we do on on Spotify again or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So look for us there. We have other shows. You just type in my last name, all of those shows will show up for you guys. So that being said, I don't want to get too much into commentary beforehand. We have a lot to cover today. I've been looking forward to this guest. And uh Guillermo, how are you doing today? Doing good. Doing and, good. Thank you. And Guillermo is the owner of L3 Chalada out of Chicago, Illinois. Okay, and we talked about it. It's the Mexican Bloody Mary mix, basically. It's an incredible product. Um, every, you know, I think that you guys are doing well. You, we talked about how you started in a restaurant, and then everyone's driven towards it. So, what a great idea! I love it. I love the concept. But today, we're we're really going to talk about backgrounds. We're going to talk about family. We're going to talk about your history a little bit because your family does have such a diverse history and a story of just making it to America and making it so that you have the opportunity you have to be this entrepreneur. So Guillermo, like, let's sort of dive into this. Let's talk about your parents' journey. Um, let's go back to the nitty gritty, the hardship, because I think it's important that we all, everyone understand that being an entrepreneur is leveraging the American dream. But without the hardships our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or whoever went through, which is similar to your story, your parents' story, we we don't understand that that hardship, that work ethic, that drive is what actually compounds into making us great entrepreneurs. But we got to go appreciate what they've been through and honor them in order to truly build good entrepreneurial businesses. At least that's my experiences. A lot of people can start businesses. A lot of people can do things. But when you have the American dream and you honor your family and you honor your parents and you honor the struggles that they went through to give you the opportunities that you have, I think it makes us better business people. It makes us better entrepreneurs and it makes us better capitalists. So um, we certainly enjoy our freedom and appreciate our independence uh, that much better. So let's dive into it. Like, Let's go back to your dad's story and then maybe we get into your mom's but let's talk about their journey the microphone's sure. yours yeah no um thank you again for having me on um yeah no quite honestly um the stories that that both my parents have are you know very interesting and and very different um in the sense of how they came to the united states um but ultimately ending up into a company a factory that has built them whatever you know what they have today um so with my dad he was born in mexico um in a state uh called michoacan and um he is the youngest of seven so he was literally um he was raised with one parent so my grandmother um his dad or my grandfather actually passed away when my dad was only six months old. So he never knew his dad. Um, and 
And um, that's a crazy so then, scenario in and of itself, not having that influence or even having yeah. that support in your family. No, so it was my grandma. Like she, she was like she what she's what instilled like the determination, the the grittiness to do whatever you need to do to survive. Um, and on top of that, like I said, he's the he's the youngest of seven, um, and so you know, obviously the older kids were helping you know uh, raise the younger kids and things like that. But it, it was really my grandmother that really drove in that that the stubbornness to never want to give up the you know you gotta the will to to do whatever it takes to survive um some of the stories that my dad has told me um i mean eating eating just a bowl of like soup like just warmed up water with a couple of uh uh pinto beans like that was their dinner because that's all they could afford um so it was it was really like to to listen to those stories and and for them the determination to to want more out of life um was really you know inspirational once you once you really sit back and think about and hear about the stories that they went through um but anyway so again my dad was the youngest in his family um grandmother was raising him and all the rest of the kids but as the older kids got the opportunity to go to the United States, um, it finally came a point when I believe my dad was, I want to say like 15, 14, 15, maybe 16, when um, it was time for him to, to leave the nest, if you will, and, and go up to the United States and follow in the paths of, their, of his brothers and sisters. Um, so they obviously, with the American dream is, when you go from Mexico to the United States, obviously, you know, comes with the money and all that stuff. And but it, it's also just the, the better lifestyle, at least that's what they thought. Um, and so then when it was time for him to come up, he made his way, um, as I mentioned in the first um, interview, that he came up essentially illegal um, and then had to work his way through and made it to California. And then um, once he made it to California, then saw that there, you know, his brothers and family were had moved over to Chicago. So once he made it to California, then from California to Chicago, and then started um, started working with like so my uncles had started working in a factory. So again, going back with the whole being illegal stuff. Um, when my dad got the job at where my uncles were working, they all had different names. So in the eyes of the employer, they're just, they were just friends of friends until, um, so they all had their, their, their individual name, depending on the papers that they had. So that from there, you know, I finally came to the point where they finally be, all be, got their papers situated and all that stuff like that. But um, from there, we are, my father met my mom. And then my mom actually came from El Salvador. Um, she came in, not a problem, what whatnot, moved in with her mom who was already living here. And then um, started working at the same factory that my dad did. So they essentially worked at the same place. That's how they met. Um, the company 
then ended up moving out of Chicago into the suburbs. And so when the company moved, my parents moved. So they came out to the small town and then that's where like we were born in the small town outside of Chicago. But it was, the struggle was there, right? Because both my parents have no, even high school education. Like the most they've done is middle school. So my dad, um, being the youngest and the more eager of of the family, um, once he started working, he, you know, whatever job that they had him, they needed him to do, he would do it. Um, And because he came over so young, he was also able to pick up English rather quickly. So if you look at our family and his family, um, we always like to say that he's probably the one that knows the most English in the entire family. Um, he picked it up so fast, but he also realized that that's in order for him to succeed and to move up um, without education, he needed to show like, okay, I need to bust my butt and, and do whatever it is I need to do to move up not only for, for himself, but for the family. So that's what he did. So like him being the youngest in, in his family and having two brothers working, two older brothers working in the same place, my dad was able to become their manager, like the group supervisor, if you will, of, of the area. So like he was, you know, in charge of my uncle's, in the sense of like they were supervisors, my dad was the group supervisor. So like my dad was able to move up rather quickly as much as he could with the lack of education, just because of his grit and being able to do again just whatever was was asked of him and then some. Um then we move on to like my mom again, same thing where she was she no education, no English, and just you know put her head down and grinded and was able to move up within the company and stuff like that. So, so that has always been instilled with us into us that, you know, you work hard, you know, and then, so for him, my dad, the biggest thing for him was education because he felt like he could have been so much more had he had the education that he, he, you know, that they required in order for him to move up. He felt that he went as far as he could with the lack of education as he could. Um, and he didn't want that for us. He, you know, he always felt again, he just said that, you know, he could have been so much more had he had a college degree and this and that. So he instilled in us a, the drive to do whatever it takes and you start from the bottom, but it also, you need that education to back it up. So, that was his story coming up. So for me, I'm the oldest of four, but I was the very last one in my family to get my bachelor's degree because of the route that I chose to take and things like that and education not being a main focus of mine um, until I until I was older. Um, I kind of felt like, oh, I'll just do what my dad and my mom did and just work my way up. But I also ran into that where, like, I was stuck at a place where I was like, I'm not going to be able to move up anywhere without education. So that helped drive, plus my dad being in my ear about going back to school and doing finishing school and 
you know, those things make a big difference once you know that you can't grow until you have the education piece of it. So that helped me in the sense of, okay, well, not only do I need to bust my butt and do whatever it takes to move up within the company, but it also gives you that drive to be like, you know what, maybe I want to do something for myself. But you also need the education to understand and to, to know what to do in certain steps in certain areas. So that to me has been a huge part of, of like being where, where I am today is the drive and dedication of my mom and my dad. Do they talk about their stories? Do they talk about the hardship? I mean, your dad came here, like you said, illegally. I mean, there had to be a lot of hardship there, a lot of, for lack of a better term, racism, uh, pushback. Oh. Um, let, can we talk about that? I just I just think it's important because it's a huge foundation of, I think, your work ethic and your drive just and, and what they instilled in you. Oh, yeah. I mean, like I said, since uh, for the most part, my dad grew up in Chicago once he came out this way. Um, and there was, I mean, Chicago in itself still to this day, I feel is still segregated. So like you go down, you're walking down the street. One side is primarily African-American. The other side is Hispanic. So like um, you they really, you know, didn't know too much of how bad the segregation was. Um, so there was a lot of racism, not just with the African-Americans, but also with the Caucasian people, because um, and that's one of the things for me personally, too, because when once we moved out of Chicago, well, not we, but my parents moved out of Chicago and into the suburbs, like we uh, my parents moved into a town that at the time probably only had 20,000 people and was primarily Caucasian. Um, so in my eyes growing up like it was almost like you you were almost a little embarrassed to be hispanic you almost had to do whatever you could to try to fit in right you had to feel i, I felt a lot like i needed to almost be white versus my my own culture because it was look you know the the, the stereotypes and things like that like you all all we wanted to do was fit in and and it was hard because you you don't when you know they they see your they see your name they see your your likeness they see your face and and you know there's racism everywhere and more so we felt it when we were growing up because of the small town that we grew up in um, but yeah so going back to my dad in Chicago like there was a ton of racism just in the sense of you know lack of opportunities or lack of just of getting any kind of positive attention or, or this, that, or whatever, not wanting to um, serve them, things like that. So th there was, there was a lot, there was a lot um, more than, you know, than I care to know probably, but there was a lot. Like describe to me what type of human do you think you became because of this? Like what was the influence you think of seeing your parents go through this? I mean, you obviously grew up hearing about it too, right? It wasn't like, and you probably witnessed it happen to you and to your parents. So like describe to me that because I think, I, I don't know, for me and I'll, I'll use, I can, I'll say it. I mean, there was a lot of WAP or without papers or grease ball or whatever they call it, Italians. I mean, I still sometimes get it, which is weird to me. 
because um, uh, for all intents and purposes, people think I'm also Caucasian or white, even though I also am only half Italian. I have um, Native American indigenous blood in me as well as Pennsylvania Dutch, and they've been here forever. But it's just interesting to me because I think the weird or like I have a vowel at the end of my name similar to you. So like there's sometimes there's that whole thing where I'm not a traditional Anglo-Saxon and um, which I can't believe still exists in this country. But it's got to be tenfold of that when you're going through this or people view you as taking their jobs and stuff like that. Like I just I'm not trying to hone on on it, but I just want to the struggle the the thick skin getting through that you had to have seen that right and so oh, yeah no i mean again going back to the small town that we grew up in um like when you wake up one morning and on your car there's your your car is keyed and it says on there go back to where you came from like those are the things that we witnessed i mean our house again yeah again it goes back to we were when when the company moved to this small town um, and the Hispanics that followed from Chicago to this town, like it, we were a small, extremely small minority. So when my dad bought the house that we essentially grew up in, there weren't many, if any, Hispanics in the neighborhood. So we were just a, a, a target. I mean, we had neighbors across the street that would egg our house, that would try to throw rocks at our windows. Um, yeah, I mean, it's you see a lot. It, it was very intense. Again, it goes back to what I was saying, too, that like it got to a point where I felt like I needed to be white or as much or as white as I could be to fit in. Because if I started to feel like, you know, my my Hispanic roots you know, you know, I didn't want to get bullied. I didn't want to get attacked. I didn't want have you try to bring on you as less confrontation or as less as you could. Um, so that in itself was was a struggle, and that was very stressful growing up. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, you have to look back at like the small towns that aren't used to different cultures, different ethnicities at the time. Um, and, and just try to do what's best for you. But at the same time, my dad trying to protect the family and make sure that nothing bad happens to us. It's incredible. It's a, it's an incredible story. Um, but I do understand, but it also is like, you know, it's a lot of like, even as Italians, it's like you speak English. Like most of us don't even know Italian anymore because they're like, you need to assimilate, you need to fit in, you need to become part of the norm. And I get it because of the, the bullying and the, the racism that occurs or, you know, the things like that. But what, I, what, what is interesting to me is those differences when it comes into the second, third generation, if you get into what you're doing, which is now celebrating your Mexican heritage with, with your product, El Tri Chalada, you know, that is a celebration of your heritage. That's almost like, for lack of a better term, like, okay, I did assimilate, but hey, I did it by your rules. Now I'm doing it by mine. See this, you know, and it's like, you know, getting into Italian food or getting, in my case, or getting into Mexican food like you did with your restaurants. Like, I think that that's also what it is. It's interesting. Our parents have such hardship, our grandparents who ever came here and assimilating that they're almost like, oh, I don't want you to feel the same pain or hardship. Stay away from that. You know, be as quote unquote white as possible or be as, you know, 
in this case, American as possible, if we're talking about African-American and white, be American as possible, whichever direction that is, even though it makes no sense because we're a diverse mixing pot, but it's almost going against what gives us the entrepreneurial journey. It's almost going against what actually is the American dream, which is not necessarily working in a factory like our parents did and not necessarily have escaping from hardship or bullies. In fact, being an entrepreneur means we actually have to learn to go fight it. We have to go learn to fight them by being the best versions of ourselves. It doesn't mean we focus on them, but we're fighting it intentionally or unintentionally, however you want to look at it, and maybe not directly by going being the best version of ourselves, which is your background, which is being a Mexican-American, which is in the product that you've developed, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's kind of an incredible story, right? And I think our parents or our parents, when they struggle, they don't want us to struggle, but they don't realize the gift that the struggle gives us, that that uncomfortability gives us a drive and that we need to learn to embrace it and then build businesses around it. I don't think anyone should suffer, have their car keyed, have rocks thrown out their window, be, have their house toilet papered, all sorts of nonsense that goes on, be called names. Um, all that stuff is extremely hurtful. However, I do believe that it gives us a superpower ultimately. And the harder it was for gen- the generations to assimilate, the, ne- the more the next generation has the steam, the the pride in who they are because they're like, okay, you may not accept me, but I'm going to pride myself on being who I am and showing you guys otherwise. And like you said, you didn't take a traditional path. Even if with the opportunity, you took a different path. So like I just think from a human standpoint, uh, from an anthropology standpoint, like from the study of humans, like it's very important that we we tend to want to fit in to stop hardship and uncomfortability. And I'm not saying anyone should get beat up or murdered or whatever or have stones again or cars keep, but I do think that it's part of the growth that gives us superpowers that ultimately we end up better off than the people trying to pull us down. Because here's the thing, that's exactly what's going on is people are trying to pull us down, meaning they're already lower than us by doing what they're doing. And so they're scared and they have fear and that's leverage to go into our businesses. So one of the things I say is those things, those hardships, that's what makes us great entrepreneurs. You look at any great athlete, they've had hardship. They had to get through hard situations. And in America, all the great entrepreneurs, anyone who's like me, who's like a second, third generation Italian-American, like that knows those hardships in my family talked about it's like okay i'm doing this because of what my family went through to get here i'm doing this for what my family went through when they got here i'm doing this because my grandmother literally worked in a factory her whole life until she died in her early 70s probably from working in the factories by like stitching and sewing her whole life you know and so i don't want to go stitch and sew i don't want my stepkids to stitch and sew have to if they don't want to Maybe they will if they have a clothing company. Who knows? But it's one of those things that I'm just like, we have to embrace it. We have to know what they've been through so we appreciate it and can grow ourselves. So. Oh, exa- uh, exactly. I mean, that's one of the things, like, going back to both my parents and the factory, like, you know, that was the one thing my dad always has instilled in us is, like, I want I want you guys to be better than me. I want you guys to do this. I want you to always be better, you know, you know think bigger, think this, think that way. And we actually had a conversation not too long ago. Um, so I have a couple of sisters that live 
out of state and they were coming to visit. And my dad made the comment. He's like, well, I'm kind of embarrassed to, you know, have them come over here because because of this, that or whatever. Because, you know, you, you guys, you, you all have nice houses and this, this and that or whatever. And I'm kind of embarrassed. And I said to him, I was like, embarrassed for what? I'm like, weren't you the one that told us that you want you want us to be better than you and that you want us to have more? Like, not saying that it's a it's, it's like a, a, a financial or anything, but that's what you wanted from us. You wanted us to be, quote unquote, better than you, have more than you, not have to suffer the things that you guys have suffered to get to the point that you guys are at. You want us to be better. And, you know, he got a little emotion for the sense of like, you know, not not wanting to show his house, you know, to his own kids, us. And I was like, no, don't be embarrassed. Be proud. Be proud of the, at the sense that of what you taught us as kids to be better, quote unquote, better than you. And we are. And that's what you wanted from us. So instead of being embarrassed, be proud. Be proud of the fact that, hey, you know, my kids have this, this and this. Um, but ultimately, that's what you wanted from us. That's what that's what they always wanted from us is just to be, you know, be better than that have more opportunities than what they had. So that to me was a huge like turning point in like the conversations that we've had, you know, over the years of, of like always wanting, always them wanting more from us. And here's the thing, like I can't emphasize this enough, the importance of humble beginnings, the importance of rough beginnings, the importance of our parents going through hardships so we in turn also have thicker skin because as entrepreneurs, there's valleys and there's peaks and there's hardship and there's loss and there's identity crises. All of the things that everyone goes through is tenfold for an entrepreneur because we're also tied to our businesses and our businesses our reflection of us and our families and our communities and our relationship with God and and however you want to look at it. So like we need to have the tough skin. We need to see our parents go through rough times and get back up. We need them to make sure that they don't necessarily make life too easy for us or rob us of the lessons because as entrepreneurs or even in life, I would say as humans, we need to be able to get through tough times and not always seek comfort from our government, from society, from our jobs, from whatever. And so like part of it is as humans, there's weirdly, and all parents want their kids to have a better life than them, but actually the better life comes from seeing the hardships, experiencing it with you, seeing the humble beginnings, and then being able to rise above it. And I don't mean that that they're below us, but I mean that we then have the tools and opportunities that they didn't have to to capitalize on it, our education, our degrees, whatever it is that the, our parents didn't have to do a better job. You know, so I think that that's a big part of it as well um, that we're talking about here. So, I mean, let's talk about this. Like your parents know you're an entrepreneur. They know you've done the restaurant. They know you've created this brand. Like, how do they view that? How do they support you now? I mean, and, and what does that look like? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, no. So, they, yeah, they are very well aware of the restaurant that we had. And then um, now pivoting to this Michelada business. Um they're very supportive. Like my dad, um, he's, he's always trying to sell, like whenever he's talking to people, whatever, um, try to tell them about the mix. Uh, my mom as well. My mom still works. 
at the same factory and she'll from time to time get orders from people there asking you know for for bottles and things like that so um she's they're both very very supportive they understand the struggle because to your point like as an entrepreneur like there there have been not that it you know i've been around since 2019 but there have been many times where i just wanted to just pack it all up and just say you know what this isn't even worth it um you know whether it's because lack of sales lack of like um um interest and quite honestly too because i started at the end of 2019 right before covid hit so like 2020 2021 were pretty rough in the sense of like you you weren't able to go out and do promos you know everything had to be done virtually and nobody was really buying too much because you know they need to see the product they need they need you to be out there promoting and you can't because you can't be out in public so there were there were a lot of times where it was like do i even want to continue this um but thankfully like with the support of my family you know my my mom my dad even my wife um and my son like to say like no we we started this let's keep it going like we we can't just stop um cuz there there's going to be hardships there's going to be times where you feel like it's just the end and then thankfully something will come up or you continue to push and that opportunity comes about where it picks everything back up where you left off type of thing so yeah you definitely have to go through all the struggles before i mean and i'm still not even anywhere near where i where i want to be um but it's definitely at a good point now um where it's at but definitely still reaching for way 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 more this is awesome um and let's talk about this let's go through your 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 different products because you have a few different options let's go through again what exactly it is and what makes up what is a mexican bloody mary i think everyone should go back and listen to the first episode like i said uh the first part we did but let's go through this again let's go through what exactly it is what is a mexican bloody mary that's the easiest way i can put it um (laughs) and um for the audience to understand but what is it and and what's what's behind it and then sort of the different uh varieties that you have sure yeah no so again um what i have our our big product is obviously the michelada mix which essentially as mentioned is a mexican bloody mary it's the easiest way to describe it it's essentially a mix that goes into beer it's designed for beer um so people that don't like or don't you really drink vodka um when you're trying to have a bloody mary on those hangover mornings um this is that alternative um i'm a i, I used to be a big drink, uh, beer drinker i still am just not as much as i used to be but you know when you're trying to recover from a hangover it's the easiest way to say it um you know i don't drink vodka and so there needed to be a substitute which is what micheladas are um i then i, I had a restaurant came up with the with the mix um and then from there branched out and now created my own brand for michelada mix but not only does this michelada mix work with beer but it works with vodka if you're a vodka drinker it works with um even non-alcoholic drinks like topo chico like the the sparkling water um, things like that. You can, people will actually even use it to make like shrimp cocktail. Um, that it could be used in multiple different areas. So 
I have the original recipe, which is just the original. Think of again, think of it as a Bloody Mary, but for but for beer. Um, it's got the spices. It's got um, got that tanginess with the with the lime. Um, so you have the sweet and the bitterness, the the spice and the nice kick. Um, essentially, it covers the flavor of the beer, so you're able to enjoy it, or it covers the flavor of whatever mixed drink that you got. So we have the the OG, as I like to call it. Um, then we branched out, and we ha- we actually have a spicy mango flavor, which most recently that happens to be our, our most popular one because we always seem to run out of that one. Um, so we have a spicy mango, so it gives it so it gives it not necessarily it's it's still going to have the heat, but it gives it that mango flavor to it. So it's not as it's not as strong and people enjoy it because it gives you that sweet sweetness flavor with the beer per se. Um, so we have a spicy mango. We also have a cucumber one. So those two tend to be neck and neck as the most popular ones that sell the most are the spicy mango and cucumber. I kind of feel like it goes in phases where cucumber will start to outsell spicy mango and then vice versa so like right now like i said it's it is spicy mango um so that's our third flavor and then our fourth flavor we actually have is tamarind uh so and in spanish tamarindo so that one is just a dry fruit that is blended in and actually gives it a really more of kind of hard to explain that one and Kind of so again with the bitterness, but it it's out. Um, it just has that really nice blend of spice and sweet, but not too sweet. So those are those are our four brain our, our four michelada mixes, our flavors, um, with some other ones coming in in the pipeline, just as like seasonal things like that. Also, too, that we'll be coming out with like. Um, some accessories that go with it, like some, uh, like the chamoy, which is like a, a syrupy thing that you would put on a glass and then you can dip it, kind of gives it that rims around the, the glass type of thing. Um, and like some, almost like, like the salt of a margarita. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, you're expanding the brand and I assume just you're going to expand beyond this and into things like that. So have you thought about where this brand is going to go, where your products are going to go and what other products? I mean, you mentioned one just now, but what else could you do with what you're doing? I mean, where is this going? So honestly, like what this is going to end up branching off to is we're also going to, our our long-term plans to include like so instead of making, so we have, like I said, the Michelada brand, which that product can be used in everything, but a lot of people don't know the name Michelada. So what we want to do is we actually want to make a an actual Bloody Mary brand so that this way you can, if people that are, that are, you know, really into like, oh no, it needs to be a Bloody Mary mix. We can also carry, you know, we'll also be carrying a Bloody Mary version of our Michelada mix, which you know, I think it kind of just goes hand in hand. But then after that, I mean, you know, it's just adding more of the products that can go with the combination. Um, whether that be just really anything in the sense of like working with 
like different restaurants. Um, we like mentioned, like we mentioned in the previous podcast, like our focus has been primarily with the breweries just for the sense of, because they don't, a lot of them don't sell um, liquor. It's just beer. And they're going to want some sort of mix that they can use as a Bloody Mary. So that kind of has been our target from the beginning. So I continue to see that route of it. Um, trying to get, honestly, is to get distribution and to get co-packing is really what we're trying to get into. Once we can get into that arena, then I feel like we can explode and really get into like the liquor stores and the grocery stores. But for me, quite honestly, like I'd rather make them in small batches than mass produce for the sense of to, to be able to have like that unique flavor, to have that, that sense of like, this is our product. Um, so that's kind of how we see it and envisioned. And then obviously still doing a lot of promotional work and things like that to go out to, to hit those stores and whatnot. But that's kind of like the idea that we have. I really enjoy this. I think like, you know, tying this into your background, tying it into what you're doing now, talking about building that, the humble beginnings, the now the entrepreneurship, like what you're doing with your brand, I think is, is so important. And I think that you know, passing this on to your children or, or other family members that are, are now maybe the, the second and third generation first in America, um, because while your parents came here, you'd be the first generation, um, I think is important. And what you're building is just so amazing. Uh, talk to me about, like, how do you go about, like, you know, I think we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, but I want to dive a little bit deeper. Are you literally putting this in your trunk uh, going around and handing out samples or trying to get people to taste it like how do you build a brand like this how do you build an alcohol brand in the modern world or in a city like illinois that i would say has more northern restrictive alcohol laws um well that's kind of the thing though with this is that it's non-alcoholic so you, it's got to be mixed in with alcohol so that kind of helps us in the sense of like Bingo. um tr- trying to trying to sell because a there's that whole alcohol piece of it so um for me yeah that's literally what i've done is throw stuff in the in the trunk and off i go to different breweries send out email blasts follow up with emails um go out and say you know give out samples and then follow up with them um yeah it's really just grassrooting it across like at least the area and then now more more recently like over the last few months, trying to focus a lot more on national view, right? Because when I did a a study um, on Instagram and just sponsored an ad, I noticed that the majority of my hits were on the West Coast. So, and the Chicagoland area wasn't as much and South, so like Texas and Arizona, stuff like that. So, you know, trying to target those areas, since I have a website, and you can order from there and I'll ship it out to anywhere in the country um, to try to get that, get the word of mouth out. Cause you have to be able to build from, you know, from nothing. And that's where the kind of where we're at. Yeah. And I'm going to help you out a little bit here and just like from a, a standpoint and the market that you're going after, like Washington, DC, 
you know, the New York City, the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania, Bethlehem, Allentown, there's high uh, Latin Mexican populations that really, I think, have an affinity for this if you're targeting um, New York somewhat, um, like I said, but really like like Washington, D.C., the, um, the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania, Texas, Florida, uh, Arizona, New Mexico, California even, and even weirdly like um, like Tennessee, for example, has a, a large population growing in Tennessee, particularly around Nashville, because of the boom in f- the food industry, and so in tourism and the need for more restaurants. So I think, you know, those are markets that, in particular, and of course, California is a great one um, that would benefit from a product like yours. I think there's probably a lot of consumers that are out there that are looking for this, their traditional staple, that don't know how to get it. And I'm, you know, just because. I've seen marketing in, in other things and, and hot sauces and stuff like that of, of Mexican from Mexican um, entrepreneurs or Mexican American entrepreneurs and seen this success that they've had in their mar- in those markets with their things. Um, so you know I think even that even if it's not Mexican like a green chili out of Colorado, I would say Denver is a good market also uh, just because of the population. but it's interesting to me that um, that you've already seen this, that you already know that your brand is more than just a local brand. Like there's plenty of Mexican Americans, Latin Americans, American Americans for whatever you are, European Americans, you name it, African Americans that would really benefit and really enjoy the product that you have. And I think that that's part of it. Yeah. And that's kind of why like I've been focused more on the smaller bottles because like normally I will have a 32 ounce bottle for um local distribution not saying that i wouldn't ship a, a big bottle like across country but what i found is obviously shipping costs to ship anything um is you know is pretty high so what i found w- w- that that's been working is now i sell like the eight ounce bottles eight ounce that gives you two beers you know if so we recommend you know four ounces of mix for a 12 ounce beer so if you bought an eight ounce bottle, you're going to get two beers out of that. Um, so and you're able to try then the the mix of flavors if you prefer. So that's what I've seen has worked, especially with the shipping costs. Yeah. And picnic packs. People can take the yep. small bottle. They go on a picnic. Oh, they each get a glass, all that. Go ahead. Yeah. So that, that reminded me, too, that like one of the things, too, with, with the eight ounce bottles is that a lot of the um, construction workers, or landscapers um, that I've talked to, they're like, yeah, these eight ounces are perfect because we can have them in our in our bag. And then after work, you know, boom, 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 done and ready to go instead of having a chug, you know, this big 32 ounce bottle. Um, so, yeah, definitely gotten a lot of positive feedback on those on those eight ounce bottles. Well, and here's the thing, and I'm going to just I'm going to plant this seed for you, actually. I've talked to a lot of people just because this is something new I didn't know before, and that's always fun when I discover it. And then I talk to people like my grandmother and my aunts are in the Lehigh Valley, so I've spent some time there. I was in Denver for um, for something over the past month, and I was talking to some of the individuals that I'd run into, particularly um, Latin Americans um, or Americans of who have been influenced or are married to Latin Americans, and even in New York City, I'm like talking about the the thing and they're also telling me that they marinate meats with it yeah like and and they they get that flavor into the meats and and like what a crazy thing like there's a whole barbecue market that i think and like thing as well for your brand and like even making it into marinades and 
and like just salad dressings i heard about it like salad dressing some people just put it on their salad they add a little bit of oil into it or olive oil and mix it up and next thing you know they have a salad dressing and I'm just like, hmm, I get this. I, I can now see it with the base, with the way your product is, being able to do that I think is so key and uh, straightforward. And so, you know, um, that's one of the things where I'm like, okay, this is a universal like product. It has a lot of applications to it. Um, people like it. People will drink it straight up, apparently. It's like V8 juice also, uh, yep. just for anyone who's out there. And so I think what you're on is just something totally like it's not new, but it's so cool that like it's so localized. People are doing it in their local places or they're making it themselves in their home, which when I ask people like, oh, I don't know anyone who actually mass produce it. We make it. We marinate with it. We use it for our drinks. We use it for our beers. But what you're doing is you're bringing it to the market, maybe even internationally for that matter. It could even go outside of American borders and to Europe and stuff like that as they become more acceptable of spicier and more diverse food over there as well, not just the traditional European, Asian, or African food that Europe's so known for. They're actually Latin American food. American food is becoming a world staple, as we know, as burgers and hot dogs and stuff have boomed across the world. And so, and Mexican food, for that matter, or, or Latin American food from different places, Brazilian uh, steakhouses, for example, are all over the world now. And so, like and Colombian food and Venezuelan food and Peruvian food and Peruvian chicken. So there's all these things that that I think you have an application for that I'm so interested to see because I think the barbecue takes on a whole new meaning and traditional marinades are there, but we we don't diversify enough. They're they're very traditional. They're barbecue sauces. They're they're rubs. But then you add in something like this. It's an amazing flavor profile. And anyone who's ever been to a Latin American market and gets their pre-marinated meat, you should go there and try them. This is what I'm talking about. Or buy a bottle of what we're talking about here. Order it online. Get El Tree Chilada. Order it to your home. If you're not even going to put it in your beers, take it with you on a picnic. Take it with you on a barbecue. Marinate your chicken, your beef, your pork, whatever, your alligator, your bison, your elk that we all should be eating, your quail, you name it. Put it on there. It, it It's a good thing. It, it changes the flavor of it, and it actually enhances the flavor profile of your meat and, and the marinade by combining them. So... At least from, I've tried some of this from scratch. That's why I said it's like V8. You can drink it. You can add it to your drink. You can add it to your meat. And like one of the reasons I asked you to come back on for a part two is because I'm totally blown away by this new world. Like it's like a new world opened up to me. I discovered a new world and I'm like, this product is incredible and I can't wait to see what you do with it. I'm rooting for you, but I also get a front seat of all of it just because you've been on the podcast. I mean... What do you think about all what I just said? I I dumped a lot there. I apologize. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um well, I mean, what do you th- I mean, I don't know. The the mic's yours. Yeah, no. Again, I I can't thank you enough for having me on um a second time and to be able to promote this product, not just my product, but just the Michelada brand in itself and the the multiple uses it 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 works for, right? Because if you think about a bloody mary mix, there's really not much you try to make. I always try to say one of my, one of my pitches when I talk to whether it's a, a bar or, or a brewery is, you know, try to put bloody Mary mix into a beer and, and drink it and tell me how that tastes. 
and then try mine into a beer and then now also try mine in vodka and whatever and you're gonna mine is mine is universal like it'll work in just about everything so so like it's one of those things where you know yeah i'm trying to compare the two just for people to understand what is a michelada mix but that's kind of where it ends because there is so many more things you can do with it. Like you had mentioned all the different marinades and things like that. Like I said, you want to do a shrimp cocktail. People will use that, use the mix as their base for the shrimp cocktail. Um, so, so many different applications and that, you know, again, we're just scratching the surface and I can't, again, thank you enough for giving me this platform to at least speak about it a little bit and to get the word out on you know especially mexican culture the the history behind it and just my product in general too this is awesome let's take this thing full circle as we start wrapping up here like there's a lot of core values that you've learned from your parents a lot of that's built your character and your integrity you're also now an entrepreneur you've also taken a different journey for your education and now you're building a product and you're out on the road like because I, and the reason I say this, and I want to anchor this for the audience, because our businesses as entrepreneurs are a reflection of us. They're basically like our inorganic children. Okay. And so like, talk to me and by organic, inorganic, I don't mean like in food sense. I mean, there's, it's not a living tissue. It's not a living organism uh, per se, but in the United States, it acts like one. It has the same rights as a human, our LLCs and our businesses actually, and our S corps and our C corps and whatever B corps. So um, let's talk about core values. Let's talk about, you know, what are some that you feel are important for an entrepreneur to have? What are some that you feel your parents instilled in you? Um, and sort of what are those same core values that I guess you're translating into your business? Yeah, difficult no, question. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think one is the to never give up. Um, definitely just keep on doing your best because quite honestly, you'll never learn without failing. Um, that's that, I think that's key because to, to live life and without, you know, experimenting or trying or giving it your all, then you're, you're never going to learn, um, with success comes failure. So that to me is huge, but I think like understanding your passion, what you're passionate, what's your passion, um, and then striving to, to research as much as you can about what it is that you're trying to accomplish. So, like, I'm very passionate about this mix. I have been for a very long time. But it's not also, it's not only about the mix, but it's it's how to present this product to the masses. So, it, it's trying to understand consumer habits, but it's just the drive to, to not want to give up because um, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs, a lot. And there's going to be way more downs than up. But you have to know that, like, at the end of the day, if this is a passion of yours, that that drive and determination is what's going to make it work and what's going to make it successful. And even success doesn't necessarily have to be monetary. Right. It can just be the fact that you got it off the ground and you were able to succeed and you were able to, you know, make some extra income on it, whatever. But, you know, it, it's it's growth. Right. It's not that immediate, um, you know, if it doesn't work in the first year then you give up. No, I mean, you know, it's a marathon, so it could take many years. 
And sometimes, you know, you, it, it, sometimes it doesn't even work until the next generation. We don't know. So my goal is to just get this, keep this going um, and be able to hand it off when the time comes. And hopefully it's a big booming business by then. But yeah, no, it's just the drive, the determination, the confidence in yourself to be able to get this done. I want to anchor this for the audience completely. So the episode before this, we did part three with Walter's Hot Dogs at a uh, in New York area, and they are a 104-year-old business, and they built slowly, and it went from generation to generation. And they add, We talk about in the last episode, they added in milkshakes, and they added in uh, Italian ices over time. And so, yes, sometimes thing is multi-generational before it builds. And that over the last years, they went from, they added a food truck. Now they're on their fourth food truck. And they went from one location to multiple locations. They went from catering to now catering on movie sets all over New York area and TV shows and, and sets and all these type of things. So I do agree with you. We don't know how our legacy is going to compound, and we don't know how our entrepreneurial ventures and our businesses are going to compound from generation to generation. I think that's hugely important. And the other thing I want to weigh for everyone, and what you said is, when it comes to family and our businesses, people are always like, I don't want cronyism. I don't want my kids in there. I don't want it ruined, and I've seen it go bad. Of it can, but it depends on the core values and the principles you raise your family, your kids, and that reflect of your business. That's why I asked this question of Guillermo because it is a direct tie. The the hardship. Do not rob your children of hardship, as we talked about this to take it full circle. Do not rob them of uncomfortability. Stop trying to make things easier for them. It's not about being easier, it's about opening up more opportunities. Okay. There is a difference. It's not about ease of life. It's about opportunities of life. Do not rob your children or the future generations of the uncomfortability, the hardships, the lack of easiness it takes to become a whole human and build your own character, your own core values. Okay, Because when we do that, that's when we have a child or a grandchild that comes into a business and ruins it. Okay, it's not because they're family. It's not because the first generation made it. It's because we lack core values, principles, and virtues. And sometimes if, if you're me, what I believe in, you lack God in your life, in your family life. It's not important. It should go God, family, business, period. And when we go business, family, God, community, or any other order, we're putting the order aside. And if our businesses are ahead of everything else because we think they're supporting everything else, of course, the next generation that comes in is going to be robbed of it because they'll see their father like, fuck that business. I want it, but I'm going to be somewhat resentful because the business became before God and family. Okay. And if you do that, and believe me, I've experienced this, it's not good for the business. Okay, when you pass down family businesses and you do things, and I've had business partners, I've seen in other people, and you rob them of the lessons, you try to make their life easier, you try to make it more comfortable. Okay, that's wrong. When you make it, when you, when you, Put them in hardship. You give them better opportunities. Maybe it's a better school. Maybe it's better whatever. But don't make it easier. Okay. One of the things that you know, I I sometimes can be resentful to my parents, and I try not to be resentful because it means I have an expectation of them. But they weren't overly loving. They were loving parents, but they weren't coddling. They weren't like the other parents I saw. Life was hard. I grew up on a farm. My dad was in food, and we had our ups and downs as a family. But one of the things they they did really well at 
for the most part. It wasn't always. I think in some ways they they try to make life easier or comfortable for us or didn't want us to suffer the way that they did. But on the other side of it, we had to work hard on the farm. We had to earn our stripes. We had to do the work. We had to make sure the work was done so we could sit down as a family. The family only got to go on vacation if the work was done. If we took care of the animals and the plants on the farm, you know, the horses in particular. And that's what I'm saying here. Don't rob it. You create entrepreneurs. You need to get through the hardship. And most humans on this planet, because our parents are, especially in America, we're trying to make things easier and more comfortable. And we don't want to argue with our children. And we don't want to be mean to them. And we want them to be our friends. And we want to talk about everything. Bullshit. Okay, it doesn't make better entrepreneurs. You can be encouraging, you can be good parents, you can be supportive parents, but don't rob them of the lessons or the dignity, okay, to be humans themselves. Okay, and humans come with hardship. Life is fucking hard, period. No matter how much money you ever get, if you don't get those core values, life will be even harder with money. Okay, because you don't know how to deal with the hardships. You don't know how to deal with the individuals. And the fall from money to the bottom is that much harder. Rock bottom hurts the, the farther you fall. Okay, so that's all I'm saying to everyone. That's why I wanted to, I love this episode. Guillermo, you're a freaking superstar, dude. Um, cool. your, your, your thing, what you're doing, your entrepreneurial mindset, your background, you have all these skills stacking up, all these experiences stacking up, and all this exposure to the world around you. And and I wouldn't say it's not a perfect world, but it's progress over perfection always. We always need to progress. It doesn't need to be perfect. It doesn't need to be comfortable. It doesn't need to be easy. Okay. And you've been able to do that with your brand and, and your product. So I just wanted to anchor that for everyone. Guillermo. As we wrap up here, is there anything you want to talk to the audience about? Maybe something we missed. I know there were a lot of questions that we haven't even gone over still. We probably have to do another episode at some point. (laughs) But is there anything that you want to share with the audience before we go? Yeah, no, again, you know, I can't thank you enough. Um, But honestly, it's just to share the same message that I said the last time, right, is that when you try to do, you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to do things, you know, on your own. Don't be afraid to try because you just never know. I mean, if you don't try, you never know. You'll never know what you're able to accomplish if you don't try. And that's the thing that I think people are afraid or they're comfortable in their in their surroundings that they don't want to try or they're afraid they're going to fail. And again, I can't say this enough, like you're never going to learn unless you fail, unless you try. And you're, you're, you're going to fail more than you succeed, but it, all it takes is that one that one time to succeed and then that's what will carry you on so i think that's it is just really like keep on keep on striving to be your absolute best and don't be afraid to fail love it i couldn't agree with you more um where can they find you online where can they find your website how do they get a hold of you if they want samples of your product if they're a merchant or a vendor all of those things because i think there's a lot of people out there uh businesses humans uh that would benefit from your product for sure most definitely. Um, our website is eltrichelada.com. So that's E-L-T-R-I-C-H-E-L-A-D-A.com. And then you can find us on Instagram at Mix, as well as on Facebook at Mix. 
Um, and then, yeah, feel free to shoot me a DM, especially with the vendors and stuff like that. Always willing to work and do wholesale, stuff like that. Um, like I've mentioned, you know, I work with a few different breweries in the area, um, a couple different local liquor stores. So definitely, you know, hit me up and, you know, anybody wants a sample too, same, same way, just reach out to me. Awesome. I love it. Um, thank you again, Guillermo. I appreciate it. Thank you, the audience. If you like what you hear on the show, again, these entrepreneurs are on here. They're sharing their story. They're inspiring other entrepreneurs. They're inspiring listings. If you're a fan, give it. Give this episode or the podcast five stars. Write the comments in there, guys. Write comments to support these guys. It is an algorithm. We all know all of social media podcasting works off of algorithms. So we don't charge for it. The entrepreneurs are doing this for free to build their brands. They're also doing it to share their story so other entrepreneurs don't know they're alone. So share the story, share the episode to anyone out there who might be in a similar situation or is wanting to be an entrepreneur in the food space, but also write reviews, write, t- write the stars on there. The better the stars, the better the reviews, the more these episodes get listened to organically and the more they spread word of mouth, tell people about it. That benefits those who are on here. So, like, again, we don't charge. I know most podcasts are free. I get it. But I don't think most are delivering the value that we do here. Or we wouldn't be in 139 countries doing the amount of downloads and plays and listens that we get on a daily basis right now. So that being said, continue to share it, please. Continue to give reviews. Continue to give good ratings because it does matter. What we're doing here is we're spreading positivity. We're spreading the entrepreneurial dream and entrepreneurial ingenuity that gives us freedom and independence in our lives. Okay. We're spreading capitalism and and industrialism. Okay. And I don't mean it like in the food sense where we're mass industrializing farming. Okay. It's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is we're building industries. We're building jobs. We're creating dreams. Um, we're, we're creating businesses that fulfill dreams, not only our own, but all the team members that work for us, all the vendors that supply us with product. Those businesses grow. They then, their dreams are usually the dreams that are big enough for their businesses that fulfill other people's dreams. They create jobs. They pay taxes. They create insurance. They give people livelihood. They support kids going through college. So again, this is not just listen to the episode and this is a passive thing and I learn and at the end of the day, I learned and I'm on my merry way. It's about also paying forward. So give it to someone else. Give this episode, if you learn from it, to someone else. Pay it forward and give it good reviews and appreciate the time because Guillermo does spend his time. He spent almost two hours with me today. Okay, that's a lot of time in the entrepreneurial world. Our time is our greatest resource. So please pay it forward. Please, I love you guys. I love all the support we already have, but continue to share it. Continue to give it good reviews. Continue to put comments on the episodes and on the podcast themselves, whatever syndication you're listening to, whether it's Spotify or not. So thank you, everyone, for listening in. I love you guys. I appreciate all of you. You can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. And again, you can find us on Spotify or any of the other shows we do on Spotify. And again, well, I messed that up. You can find this show and all the other shows we do on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. So I fumbled the words there. I'm just going to stick with it. I'll show you guys making mistakes as part of the game. So we're going to leave that in there and just show you like you got to keep moving on. We make mistakes. We have things that go wrong. I fumble my words all the time. I just make amends and I move forward. So 
thank you guys. I appreciate all of you again. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. And we're out.